As I said, we'll be continuing our series in the book of uh, Philippians. If you uh, don't have a Bible with you, we have some folks that are going to be coming down the aisles. If you'd just slip up a hand, we'd love to put a Bible in your hands. And if you, if you don't have a Bible in your home, if you, did, if you didn't just forget a Bible today coming to church, uh, we would love for this to be our gift to you. And uh, there are probably going to be some things said today that you're going to want to go home and, and check out. Uh, in the book of Philippians. That's in the New Testament toward the end of your Bible, toward the back of your Bible. And consequently, toward uh, Paul wrote this toward the end of his life. And you can imagine as he, um, as he penned these words that he felt at least the possibility right at the end of the book of Acts is when this happens. Uh, that he felt the possibility. The, the troops had kind of surrounded him. He had been in prison for a while, um, had the threat of death, execution over him for some time. Uh, and he knew that, the, and he kind of writes that in this passage, he knew that this could swing either way, but eventually uh, that uh, the, the charges or the enemies were going to not just encroach upon him, but were going to over overtake him. And that's one of the most amazing things as we're about to read, yeah, uh, the steadiness of Paul's hand, uh, even facing uh, death in the most difficult circumstances, the steadiness of his hand and the steadiness of his faith and this emanating joy. So if you would, I, I want to, right here at the, at the top, I, I want us to read Philippians chapter 1 Beginning in verse 12, and we'll read through verse 21, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Look at the witness of his, of his faith. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment, he says, is for Christ, verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, so this first he's talking about the, the witness in the imperial guards. Now he's turning to the brothers, I'm sure sisters too, a few at least. Now, having become confident in the Lord, look at, look at what his situation does for them. Having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word, he says, without fear. Some indeed, he says, preach from envy and rivalry, those jerks. Like they're jealous of Paul's effectiveness. But others from goodwill, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to, aff to afflict me in my imprisonment. Like they're really thinking, oh, Paul's gonna, Paul is going to be so mad that we're sharing the gospel. And obviously, that's not the case. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And listen to this. There he is chained somewhere in the, mid, in, in the, in the middle or in the, toward the end of his two-year imprisonment. He's been beaten. 
He's been dragged before council after council. But in this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And double click on that because Paul is not saying, he's not defining deliverance as, ah, you're praying. Uh, you're believing that, that Paul's going to get out of prison. I'm praying that I'm going to get out of prison, and so I'm fully confident that God is going to get me out of prison. He's going to get me out of this hole, man. I'm going to get to go on with my life. Kind of name it, claim it. That's not how Paul defines deliverance. His confidence, and he's not delivered in that way. Things don't work out in that kind of a way for him. So it'd be kind of silly if you've got this guy who's got this, he's, he's prophetic. He's so close to Jesus. This isn't, by the way, one of those sermons where we spend the whole time talking about um, the hard times in life. There's much more to this than that. But in this case with Paul, he's, he's not saying, he's not putting himself out there and saying, I believe that God's going to get me out of prison. And then all of a sudden he's on the chopping block and he dies. Or another two years pass, and where's your... Imagine the skeptics. Where's your God now? You said you were going to get out of prison. God doesn't love you. No, this is going to work out for my deliverance, he says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always... Christ will be honored in my body, whether, he says, so deliverance, whether in life or death, that I won't be ashamed of Jesus Christ, that I'll experience him here. That's already deliverance for him. Like you can put him in chains, but he's free in Christ. No matter what, he says, for me to live is Christ. If you're going to memorize anything in the whole Bible, this phrase you're going to get a tattoo of anything, man. Tattoo this one in a circle on your wrist or your back or something. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We all know somebody like that. That literally no matter what, They've got this just, this positivity. And you, even as I say that, you've, you're thinking of somebody, not the weirdo, not the, not the giggly one that, uh, that their emotions, their response uh, doesn't match the circumstances. You're like, you need to get a clue. But that person that no matter, no matter what, they've got this positivity and, and a, a, an unshakable Joy, not giddiness, but an unshakable joy uh, that's contagious. And if we, if we can just kind of pull out or really dive into what's happening with Paul, there is a contagiousness. He's not standing in a pulpit. I don't know that he's leading small group studies. But there's a contagiousness 
to his, of his or with his life that's caused the imperial guard to be like, they're sitting outside his cell and, you know, God, we just beat this guy. And what is he doing? Gyra, you are enough. I have to imagine if Paul had access to that song, that, that's the one he would be singing. And he's, he, he's embraced. He's living authentically. The guy hurts. He's made appeals. It's not like he's just... That, that he wants this situation, but that he's in this situation does not shake his positivity, does not shake his joy. And that he's unshaken is what becomes contagious. And mind you, although Paul's in prison here, he won't end this book. Paul's a great preacher. He won't end this book just talking about, well, if you go to prison, God's going to meet you there. If you get the cancer, God's going to be there. If you lose your job, God's going to be there. He's not just a low, a, a low time experience of God. He ends the book in chapter four by saying, no matter what circumstances, I, I've, I've learned to be content. I've found joy, uh, whether I have a whole lot and everything's working out great, or whether uh, I'm at the bottom in the pit, like, no matter what, Paul acknowledges that it's, it would be easy for us, if you flip that around, it would be easy for us to not have joy at the height of our success. Just as easy as to lose sight of that confidence, that positivity, and the joy that we can have when we're facing hard times. So this is, this is a broad and, and anywhere in between. So you probably, if you look at the title uh, of right above verse 12, the title that some dude gave this section. And that title has informed the approach that most preachers have taken, and you've probably heard this approach, advancing the gospel or something like that. This is the advancement of the gospel. And then what preachers have done, and probably when we read this, you expected, said, all right, now we're going to talk about evangelism. Old, an old word, if you're new to church, don't feel bad. That's just sharing, sharing Christ. And in, in the olden times, back in my day, we'd come to a section like this and be like, and we even said it this morning, um, you need to get out and share your faith. Like, what, this, that's what we need to do. We need to go into all the world, as we quote Matthew chapter 28. Uh, and then we turn up the heat in an auditorium and say that we've got a big problem because Christians aren't sharing the gospel. And so we're going we're gonna to challenge you. We're going to bribe you. Like we'll give you stuff if you'll bring people to Christ. We're going to threaten you. We're going to beg you. Oh, please. We've got a, a, a world that is dying without Jesus. So go share Christ. All some, somewhat true, but what, as we zoom out on this section, that's not the approach that Paul takes. In fact, he, if I scan his words, I don't want you, you'll send me an email about this. I think he never takes that approach. Begging, coercing, manipulating, threatening. He takes this approach. 
How does he get people to, to share Christ? He does it contagiously. And, and Paul literally could have preached a hundred sermons, and he, he might have when he was free. He could have talked endlessly. He could have written endlessly. And none of them would have had the impact that this episode where Paul lives the sermon. Where people see the church witnesses joy in any circumstance. And I believe it's that joy that Paul uh, experiences, that he embraces, that he gives testimony to in his life. I believe it is that joy uh, that makes him contagious, that draws people to, that moved them from down the corridor to the side of the cell. And then eventually sitting beside him asking him the question that will change a life. What is it that you have that makes this possible? And you can, look, I, th I think in, in leading people to Jesus, we answer questions that they're not asking. And until they ask that question, what do you have? What is this thing? When they ask that question, and a life lived in such a way in the pit or in the palace, a life lived in such a way that causes them to ask this question will lead, and that's contagiousness, will lead people to Christ. So real quick, I want to uh, remind us of the definition of joy. Um, because we, we've been through this, you've probably heard this definition. Uh, a joy is an unshakable satisfaction that comes from the Lord. Uh, an old preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, defined joy this way, it's the, and I love this. It's the internal response and reaction of the soul. This isn't giddiness. This has nothing to do with a licking your teeth and a cute little smile it's an internal response and reaction of the soul to the knowledge to a knowledge that the Lord is with you this is Paul that the Lord is with you and is in control of your circumstances unshakable confidence and satisfaction Jaira you are enough and so in, in the pit, Paul emanates this, but I have a friend, I, I was, when I came to faith um, at the beginning of high school, uh, in, in my church, it was right at the beginning of what became a years-long revival in that church. I've probably told, told you this before. It was a, just a, a, a remarkable time for me to come to faith uh, and impacted me in some really, really deep ways. And there were a few people that I'll, I'll talk about at different points in this sermon um, in our time together that just deeply impacted me. And one of those guys um, was the, and is uh, the most successful 
uh, CC's pizza op operator in the nation. Uh, literally, every, everywhere that I've gone to a CC's Pizza, I'll ask whether it's sh Chicago or, um, or Texas or anywhere. Um, I'll, I'll ask the, the owner, I said, hey, do you know Mike Tollison? Have you heard of Mike Tollison? I said, everybody has heard of Mike Tollison. So Mike tells a story. This is right, right near the beginning of whenever I became a Christian. And it's just that everybody, everybody wanted to be Mike, man. The guy is so successful. And he, uh, he tells a story. He had, a, he had, had a, 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 just a, a heartbreak impact with, with the Lord around the same time that I came to the Lord. And so he started to tell the story that uh, early in college, whenever he uh, had, was thinking that he was going to be a business owner of, of some sort, um, he, he sensed that God was calling him to something. He didn't know if it was ministry or what. He had this a, a real... Um, life-changing encounter with God and he was afraid that God was going to tell him to be a preacher and he says, There's, I, I just don't think or a missionary or something and it, he was so afraid of living a, a, a life of poverty that he, he, he the way he told it, he literally audibly told God no. And God didn't even reveal to him what, what he was going to ask of him, but he said, no. He said, I want to be rich. And so he graduated college, business degree, um, bought a CC's Pizza franchise, pounded the streets, and at the height, I mean, you could literally, on his shelf, you could see these little golden pizza awards that he had everywhere. At the height, he's standing out, he, as he tells it, he's standing out on his balcony, looking on his lavish pool, his cars in the driveway, and all these, he had everything that he thought was going to make him happy. As he stood there, he tells the story that he looked out and his heart broke because the thing he wanted most, that he thought that those, the wealth could give him, wasn't there. He didn't have joy. And he says, I fell to my knees and I said, oh God, what have I done? I, 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 I'll give it all up. I'll answer your call. If you will give me joy. We'll pick that up in a few minutes because some really amazing things happened with him after that prayer. He, was, he said, I, I thought God was going to say, okay, empty your bank account, give it all away. That's not exactly what happened. But that's what we're all chasing. That's what the imperial guards stand outside the cell. To the governor, to the slave, to your neighbors, to you, we're all chasing joy. And hoping that around the next corner, if, if this would happen, I could, I could, I could get it. And uh, afraid, all of us, everyone afraid that something might happen that will take it away from us. And it is that joy that I believe Paul wants to prove to people 
the very thing that our hearts long for wants to prove to us is available to us and will be the thing that will be contagious through us. Before we jump too far ahead, I want to deal with something in, in, that he says in verse 12 that we might have a sneaking suspicion or we might have a fear um, is happening. That He says, uh, I want you to know what has happened to me and that happening is that he's in prison, he's in this really tough situation. And you might, you might have, I may just be walking into a, a conversation that you don't, you're not having a struggle with, and I'm going to create a struggle for you. Uh, that what has happened to him, we might read that and think, did God put him in that prison so that the gospel would so that people would be saved and if god put him in prison did he is this a domino effect that god then has put him in a situation that's going to get worse he's been beat and that eventually he's going to get killed and the real problem is well i don't care so much about paul whenever i read that the real question is with me did god give me cancer so that or and I, I've sat, I've been in hospital rooms so many, so many times. So I'm looking for the reason why God did this to me. And we think that's where the joy is. As I lost my job and said, so, well, God took my job away. So we'll use, we'll use that language. Or we'll have that suspicion and, and therein it becomes, rather than clinging to the Lord, becomes a real struggle with the Lord. I lost a spouse or I, 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 whatever it is, whatever loss whatever pain is although and i've had a couple of conversations recently where people new believers new disciples were struggling as they're reading the bible and they say i mean there's some really tough things that god does through the bible like he punishes uh, people he uh, he even with his own people puts them in, uh, uh, takes them out of their pr promised land and puts them in exile and there's some really, really tough things. Normally, though, it, uh, I'll tell you, as a preacher, one of the things um, early on as I was reading the prophets, God puts his, his, his preachers, his prophets in some weird situations and some painful situations. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want this vocation. This, this could be tough. Normally, though, God does not norm, normally, in most of the cases, the pain that we're experiencing does not come from the Lord. Now, there may be consequences that we're experiencing from our own sin or decisions that we're making or other people. But most of the time, God does not do that kind of stuff to his own children. And he calls you sons and daughters of God, your beloved. God's not mean to his kiddos. In fact, Jesus, and if you want the lens through which to view uh, all circumstances in life and the painful things in life, Jesus names uh, the source of, of struggle and pain as the devil. He says, uh, the evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But in contrast, I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. You really can't find in this Abba Father relationship that we have with God, uh, him saying, okay, now I'm going to dangle you into this or I'm going to give you this thing. We know the source. We know the source of life and, and joy and abundance comes from God. 
and that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The beautiful thing that Paul shows us here is that as much as the devil comes at us, as dark as the pit we might be in, there is nowhere where Jesus can't meet us and nothing that he can't restore. He can give meaning, usefulness, purpose within the very situations where the devil was seeking to steal all of it. God brings, Jesus brings redemption to our past. We say this in unique all the time. He redeems our past, but he doesn't stop there. He restores our present. And he's the architect. Although whatever we might have done, whatever might have been taken, he brings restoration in this moment. And those who sit with him, he then is the architect of a future. That's the Jesus that we know. And the interesting thing about the Philippians is that this experience that Paul has where, where he's, uh, he doesn't lose the Lord, but gains a, a, a full sense of his presence even in that situation. That with the Philippians, none of this would have surprised them. Let me give you a little bit of, of history here. That as, as he's writing this, you know this, in full confidence, this is wonderful. And they're amazed. They're like, oh, this guy, I mean, you can't, you can't keep him down. Like even in prison, he's free. This is, this is amazing. And then somebody would have said, but that's Paul. You go all the way back to the, to the middle of the, the book of Acts where that church was birthed out of an experience that Paul had uh, in prison. And there's, there's some, real, it doesn't explicitly say this, but there's some evidence that, or you have the suspicion that as Paul and Silas were in prison, God, the guy's always in prison. As they're in prison, they're singing, they're singing hymns in the middle of the night. They've been beat. They've been dragged. He's been falsely accused, thrown in prison, and they're singing these hymns uh, in, in the middle of the night. And, and then you, you, miraculously God opens the doors to the whole prison. A bunch of the prisoners run out. Paul and Silas don't. They don't run from their circumstances. They sit in the Lord. And the, the, the jailer who thought that, man, he was going to be in big trouble ends up doing exactly what he said, this contagiousness of this joy that they have in Christ. It's not even the, the, the miracle. It doesn't even mention, it's like, oh, if God can open jail cells, that's not what gets him. What gets him is that in the midst of their circumstances, they have joy in the Lord. And he says, you tell me about this Jesus. He baptizes, and that, that night baptizes the jailer in his entire household, and then the ripples from that experience. No wonder the, the book of Philippians is known as the joy book. It begins that way. And so the real question is not, should not be, how can I stand up here and get you to go share your faith? 
that shouldn't that should not be that should not be the concern of of churches of preachers should not be the concern the real the real challenge or opportunity should be how do we get you to to experience joy in Jesus that will be contagious and so with that I'm going to make some observations about finding the what Paul shows us about finding joy right where we are wherever you are finding joy right where you are no matter no matter where you are the kind of joy that will be contagious and that begins this will be pretty simple but I want to, I, I really want you to track with me on this which is we we begin right in elementary school on this that Paul says joy comes from knowing Jesus like he said right at the beginning what Paul what uh, uh, Brian preached was that Paul's uh, his earnest prayer was that they would have fullness of knowledge and that knowledge in the Greek I'm no Greek scholar but that knowledge of uh, that he that he talks about there is a is not the uh, not knowing things or information but that knowledge is knowing a person intimately intimate knowledge of Jesus that they would have full not that their their relationship with Jesus would be that of a would be as that of a friend or that of a mate and he extends that and his promise is that that will bring them joy but he ends this or near the end of the book in chapter 3 Paul Paul says explicitly that uh, no matter that all of the accolades that he's had in his life, all the opportunities that he's had in his life, and he says boldly, as, as smart as I am, I'm, I've just normally been the smartest guy in the room. That I, you, you put all of that in a burning heap. I don't care about any of that. Any of that. I want to know Christ. I want to know Him. When you can listen to this guy, because. It's all been taken away from him, but that has not changed. On the mountaintop or in the valley, I want to know Christ and the power of his rising. Because therein lies joy. But not only knowing Jesus intimately, I would say secondly, finding Jesus. This is what Paul experiences, what he testifies to uh, in prison here. Not only knowing Jesus, but finding Jesus. And that may seem redundant to you, except you and I both know how easy it is to lose him. Not lose your relationship with Jesus, but to wake up in a, a job where everything is going great and realize, ooh, I misplaced something. To go, to go months in whatever situation for you to wake up and realize, as Mike did standing on his balcony, whoa. And I, where is Jesus? And if that's not your experience, it's great. Uh, good, good for you. That is the biblical experience, though. If you go back and read the Psalms, I don't think, I think we all relate to David. I don't think any of us judge him. 
that as uh, was a man after God's own heart, he wrote the best, he was a worshiper, the guy worshiped all the time, but in half of his psalms, he's crying out, God, where are you? What a minute. What do you mean, where are you? You got the songs, man. You, you, you've got a prophetic spirit. Of course, you, there's no way that you don't know that Jesus is with you, but that knowledge doesn't help him in the moment where fear has overtaken him. Anxiety is the most real thing or at the end of a successful battle. Cries out, where are you? And so where, where's the joy in that? Okay, I was, um, I was helping a, a, some friends yesterday um, in the 97 degree heat, moved some stuff out of their house. I, I regret my life decisions in, in that. Um, but I laid my keys on the back of, like a, a smarty, on the back of um, a, a truck because it's like empty the pockets. So I, I was sure that my sweat was going to ruin my keys. And uh, a, a few hours later, um, this person left and came, and came back. And I was like, well, as we're getting ready to leave, I said, where are my keys? Um, did you take them off the back of your truck? Nope. He drove down a dirt road, down a country road, and then down a county road. And uh, so we were all so exhausted. And as I'm walking, literally looking in the grass on the side of the road, I don't have a spare set of keys. As I'm looking through the grass, sweating, like this is really, really bad. Eventually, like 20 minutes, 25 minutes or five hours, I don't even know, because it was so hot, I spotted my keys on the, on the county road, on the side of the road. Now they had been run over a few times. I think somebody hated me because it looks like they ran over them back and, back and forth. But I, so like I was thinking that it was lo- that completely, I'm not gonna find my keys. You know the experience. I was all by myself, so I didn't look all the way out. I'm like, woo, <laughs> thank you, man. And they kind of work, I have to jab them. I'm gonna have to get new keys. That's with keys. You know what? With a wallet, the, the reviving of joy that we have when we find something that we thought we lost. Well, I don't have to say anymore. That when, when we cry out to God and, and say what is authentically in our heart, there's no need, there's no, there's no need for us to be doctrinal in this that when you feel like God's not there, say it to him. God, where are you? Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Man, it's time to be real because in that real moment, he'll reveal himself and in finding him there, wherever, will recapture joy. The third is in experiencing Jesus keep his promise. And it's not just knowing information about Jesus or, or finding Jesus in a moment, but in finding him, him doing what he said he would do. Like, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Ooh, that's an experience. 
that I come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you what? Rest. That when he does what he says he will do, until he does what he says he will do, my faith in Jesus is sort of fiction. It's somebody else's story, but it's not my story. Until I can put my finger on a calendar, recall the day, relive the moment when Jesus kept his promise. When I can, that's when I experience real joy. Not to know him, to find him, to experience, to join him to the kept promise that he's made to me, whether that's in the valley or on the mountaintop. And then lastly, in, in this joy, sharing Jesus with other people. That's what Paul says. I, I, I rejoice, and again, I will rejoice. Because the Jesus that you know, the Jesus that you found, the Jesus that you've experienced, when you talk about that Jesus, to people who've come to him, it's like, you have something that I have never seen before. You're not cheesy, you're not weird. You've got this steadiness. That Jesus that you talk about will be evident on your face. Because when you talk about someone that you know, that you've found, that's been with you, that you've experienced, when you talk about someone like that, it will be contagious and magnetic. That is joy. I love to talk about the people I love. I do. I mean, it's not hard. I can tell you about my friend Mark, and I love to talk about Mark. I can tell you about my children. I love to tell. I love to tell stories about my children so much they tell me to stop telling stories. Heck, the trick isn't how do I share, but the the real gimmick, if you will, is how do I experience? How do I know him in such a way that I can talk about him without it being weird? That I can point to calendars. share my experience joined with that's like my experience is my experience but this has been everybody's experience that's ever encountered Jesus in the Bible but here's the turn of phrase you can't share what you don't have you won't share what you haven't experienced so no amount of us telling you to go out and share the gospel will work and in fact, if it does work and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and knowledge of him and an experience to package, then not only you'll be, will you be ineffective, um, but you'll probably be harmful. That what Paul does, what we see him do is live out this contagious relationship with Jesus in such a way that the guards are drawn to it and that the church emulates that thing.
And that's, that's, what, that's what I was kind of born into. Uh, right after I became a Christian, I joined my first uh, small group. Um, and back then, I, the, we, churches didn't have small groups. I joined my first small group, and it happened to be with this family that was similar to mine, but they lived Christ in a way that I, that I didn't see really in my home. Uh, it was Vita and Jerry Toombs. Uh, Jerry had just been laid off um, from AT&T. This was back in the day when once a year they laid everybody off. And, and Vita worked... She was kind of like Laverne and Laverne and Shirley. Um, she worked at Frito-Lay on the assembly line. And so like the first or second small group, a bunch of us uh, kids from the youth group would go over to their house on Tuesday night. And it, she's, uh, they're sitting there and Jerry, they're happy, but Jerry's just been laid off. And Vita tells a story. She says, I want to tell everybody, can you just pray for me? Um, I'm, I've got a, a there's a, a lady at, at the plant that hates me. And she tells us about Sherry, who she ended up calling Sherry Berry. She tells us about Sherry. She's, she, Sherry hated her because she's a Christian, and Sherry uh, was in a homosexual relationship and lifestyle. And so she hated Vita. And we said, man, what do you want us to pray for you, Vita? And this is my very beginning faith. What do you want us to pray for you? And she says, Pray that I, that I will love her well, no matter what. And pray that nothing will take away my joy. As if week after week, we pray that prayer. Hey, love Sherry well, no matter what she writes on your, your locker. No matter what, love her well. And never lose your joy. A year later, um, we kind of, we prayed about it. We, we didn't ask a lot, but a year later, this is what I was born into. A year later, uh, Jerry and Vita said, we're having a 4th of July party and uh, we'd like for a few of you guys to come. It's gonna be great. Sherry is coming and she's gonna smoke a brisket. She's gonna be with us uh, all day. And then from then on, Sherry was there. She was there all the time. Uh, a year ago, Vita passed away. And who was it that stood? It wasn't a sermon that, that changed Sherry's life. It wasn't a film strip. Click, click. You remember those? She stood and she said, no one ever loved me like Sherry or like Vita. Never seen joy like what I saw in her. Mike will end with this. Um, Mike, when he got up off his knees and was sure that God was going to tell him to uh, give up all of his money, God revealed to him that no, he he was in the perfect place uh, to share the experience that he had just had with God that after chasing happiness in success and wealth he could tell people before they take that journey he could tell them it's not going to be there 
Joy is only in the Lord. And so Mike, he, he, people always came to him because he was successful. People always were in his office and asking if they could spend time with him. Will you mentor me? Will you coach me? And so he, he, God told him, I need to, you need to take those meetings. You need to enter into those relationships. And then you need to tell the story. And so there he was. Um, the first year, um, at the end of the first year, Mike says uh, that he led uh, 35 people. I was sitting in his office. He tells me, I led 35 people to the Lord because they came to me wanting to learn how to be rich and I got to tell them that, um, give them some tips, but I got to tell them about this Jesus uh, who changed my life and he is the source of joy. <laughs> and so we're sitting there and he says 35 people and he said, there are so many more people that wanna meet me because of where I am. Next year, I'm gonna, I'm gonna baptize 65 people. He says, look at the contrary, at the, at the Vita and Mike, maybe you are one of them. Whoever you are, join the Lord is the secret to you reaching your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your workmates. Know Jesus, find Jesus, experience Jesus. Then you won't have to work at sharing Jesus. I left, went to seminary, came back, and was standing in the back of this uh, large auditorium with one of the elders and looked, looked out, and I saw Mike down at the front, near the front of the auditorium, and there was just a buzz around, and there was a bunch of people. And I said, who are all those people around to the elder? I said, who are all those people around Mike? And he said, in the past five years, he has led 300 people to Jesus. And that's them. <laughs> they're, all, they're all around him down there. I look over here, and there's Sherry. With her head on Vita's shoulder. That is 300 or one. The secret for you and me in doing what we, we're here to do, we want people to know Jesus. It's not that hard. The real trick, the real key, friends, is knowing Jesus, finding Jesus, crying out to him, experiencing Jesus, and then you will be contagious. We will have to put a mask on to keep from catching what you've got. Can I hear amen? If you would, join me on your feet. Can I pray not only over you, but over those who are looking on to you? Lord Jesus, each person in this room represents a, a, a candle that if lit, if stoked, will light the rooms that they walk in. And so I pray that you will fan into flame the joy of each one of us, that you'll answer the prayer for closeness with you that, that each of us so deeply desire and that wherever we are, whatever boardroom, whatever back room, whatever basement, uh, that you will be so near to us that out of us and through us, people will know you as we know you. 
pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Those are the very things that as you're taking communion, the very center of it is knowing Jesus as you hold the bread in your hand and as you reignite the promise that he has for you in the blood. This is nearness, promise. I pray and I, I, I'm excited for you to stand with the Lord and eat with him at his table. Let's worship.